Blog Talk Radio. Talk. I'm your host, Janice Tadell, for today, Sunday, April 15th. Uh, we are happy to be back. Um, we've been away for a couple of weeks. Our work schedules, as well as the Easter holiday, um, kept us from being here with you guys, but we are back. Happy to be back, and we have a great show planned for you tonight. So before we turn it over to Denise, I just want to remind those of you who are listening um, by phone, if you have a question, or comment, please don't hesitate to call us, and that number is 914-803-4399. Again, that number is 914-803-4399. Now let's turn it over to Denise for some beauty news. Good evening, everyone, and again, welcome to the show. You worked for it. You earned it. Join the movement. Uh, PBA, the Pro Beauty uh, Organization, knows that you take pride in your craft. Help them to protect your professional license from deregulation. Join the I Am Licensed, I Am a Professional movement. To get more involved, text PROBEAUTY to 52886. Again, that's PROBEAUTY to 52886 to receive up-to-the-minute advocacy alerts straight to your phone. The beauty industry needs your support to protect cosmetology licensing from deregulation. And also for more information on the whole movement, you can go to probeauty.com forward slash I am. Again, probeauty.com forward slash I am. And you can get your tickets now for IMAX London. IMAX London taking place Thursday, May 17th through Sunday, uh, May 20th at the Olympia Center in London in the U.K., um, Thursday, there will be uh, one master class with Sarah Seidman Vance, Lighting for Makeup Artists uh, 101. That workshop will take place at 9.15 a.m. to 6 p.m., uh, 6 p.m., and that's in the Apex Room at the Olympia Center. Then on Friday, there's a pro, um, a pro card event from 3 to 7 p.m., and there, uh, there's a class actually starting 9 a.m. that day um, in the Apex Room again at the Olympia Center from 9 a.m. to 1, Kat Von D Master Class. From 11.30 a.m. to 3 p.m., there's another uh, Master Class, Art and Makeup and Fashion, and that's going to be in the club room. And then later in the afternoon, 2 p.m. to 6 p.m., the Emuographer Experience with Rocky Cosetti. Uh, again, that's in the Apex Room. And there's a fee for all of um, 
all of those classes I just listed. But from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m., it's the actual Makeup Artist Pro Card event. And along with that, there will be uh, makeup demonstrations, one from 3 to 7 p.m. at the Makeup Artist Magazine booth, uh, Surreal Makeup Illusions with Mimi Choi. Uh, then on the open forum stage from 4 to 5 p.m., there's a, a panel discussion with the Darkest Hour uh, panel. And from 5 to 6 p.m. in the club room, Study Kiss Cream Lip Art Performance. Be sure to um, take a look at imax.net, um, the London event, to see a list of all of those uh, master classes and all of the um, uh, the special uh, um, demos and classes taking place during the pro event. But the actual trade show itself will take place Saturday, May 19th, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., as well as Sunday, uh, May 20th, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and Janice and I will be doing a class on that Saturday. Um, I believe, let's see, our class is from 1.45 p.m. to 2.45 p.m. in the club room, and it's Key Beauty Tips and Techniques for Women of Color. So if you will be at IMAX London, be sure to join us on Saturday, May 19th, from 1.45 to 2.45 in the club room, sponsored by Makeup Artist Magazine for Clean Beauty Tips and Techniques for Women of Color. And that's all I have for this week. All right. All right, so tonight we have uh, with us hairstylist Joyce Gilliard, and um, we're going to talk to her in just a few seconds. But before we do, uh, just take a quick listen to this. Beauty Talk Radio, hosted by your favorite twin celebrity makeup artist, Janice and Denise Tunnell, is celebrating 10 years, and we simply want to say thank you to all of our guests, our sponsors, and supporters who have taken the journey with us. Because of your support, we've been able to bring you conversations, beauty and skincare tips from the industry's finest, and so many more. Sam Fine, Australian makeup artist Ray Morris, James Vincent, V. Neal, Nigeria's own Lola Maja, Kevin James Bennett, Rocky Cosetti, Marietta Carter-Narcisse, Tim Bucharin, Mickey Taylor, formerly of Essence Magazine, A.J. Crimson, Michael DeVellis, Suzanne Patterson, Larry Sims, Denisa Myricks, Melissa Street, Michael Key of Makeup Artist Magazine, Camille Friend Rochard, Naja Riquette, Bernadette Thompson, and so many more. We're celebrating 10 years, and we're so excited about what's to come for Beauty Talk Radio. Millions listen live and via iTunes downloads from around the world. So we have to say thank you to our listeners in the U.S., of course, the U.K., Australia, Ghana, Russia, South Africa, Uganda. Brazil, South Korea, Ireland, Canada, Sweden, the Bahamas, and so many other parts of the world. Are you following us on social media? We're on Instagram at beauty underscore talk underscore media. We're also on Twitter at beauty underscore talk. And we can't forget about Facebook, beauty talk online. We're celebrating 10 years. We're excited about where we're going and we know you are too. All right, so we just want to say a quick thank you to all of our listeners out there um, who support us each and every Sunday night. And for those of you who can't, but you check us out um, on the iTunes iTunes download or the download here on Blog Talk Radio, we thank you, thank you, thank you. But tonight we are talking to hairstylist Joyce Gilliard. We're talking to her about her career and also about her nonprofit, iSafe Television and Film. Welcome to the show, Joyce. 
Hi. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We are so happy that you're able to join us. Why don't you start off the conversation tonight by just introducing us, um, introducing our listening audience to who you are, and tell us a little bit about how you got started as a hairstylist. Hi, everyone. Well, my name is Joyce Gilliard. I have been a hairstylist for about 30 years. I grew up in my grandmother's beauty salon, and at the age of five, I started braiding hair and knew that I would become a hairstylist because I sat and watched her growing up. And I've been in the film industry for about 12 years now. Oh, my goodness. So you've been doing hair for almost 30 or around about 30 years and then film for about 12. What brought on the transition from just working and doing hair in the salon to to working on sets? Well, I... Before I um, started working in the film industry, I was working in New Jersey as a salon consultant in Manhattan. Well, I lived in New Jersey and worked as a salon consultant in Manhattan, New York. And Mm -hmm. as a a consultant, I ended up um, becoming the hairstylist for Run's House, the TV show Run's House where I cut the boys' hair and um, did Angela, Vanessa, and the mom, Justine. And that's when Mm -hmm. I kind of transitioned into the film industry. Oh, Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, you've been doing hair for 30 years. Can you share with us some of the changes that you've seen in the the hair industry (laughs) from over 30 years? Because... I know things weren't back then like they are today. Have you noticed any big differences from then and now? Yes, I have noticed a lot of changes in the hair industry from back then when I started about 30 years ago until now. Mainly the customer service has changed. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the techniques have changed. Uh, back then, when I started, we we didn't even have hair weaves. Back then, everybody mm-hmm. wore their natural hair and wore it proudly. And then, you mm-hmm. know, we started getting the relaxers because before the relaxers, we were doing press and curls with the Marcel irons, the stove, the gas mm-hmm. stove. I learned on a gas mm-hmm. stove. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just it's so funny how things are changing, but it's evolving again, and we're going back to the basics all back over to, again. Yeah. Right. <laughs> elaborate, elaborate a little bit on the, that customer service. Yeah, please. You know, back then with customer service, everyone really wanted to make sure that their clients felt at home and, you know, were just getting treated professionally. You know, because you really appreciated having them come to your salon all the time. And you mm-hmm. you just were more giving to your clients and you just more were more receiving of their business. Right now, the 
stylists of today, not all of them, but most, a lot of them, what they do, they don't care about clients. They don't care about the client's integrity of their hair. You know, it's just that fast money where you can just do the style, let them go. Right. You know, back then, you used to do the hair, have the clients come in every couple of weeks for deep conditioning treatments. You know, you Mm -hmm. had them growing hands back then. Now it's like people are losing their hair more because the stylists aren't really treating and caring for the clients here like they used to because they want to make more money. Right. Right. And in, and in wanting to make more money, I find that they book more clients closer to one another. Um, and sometimes they, I'm learning that they save on the money that they spend on products by just purchasing products that they use on everyone's hair and not paying attention to the fact that, you know, you may not be able to use a certain type of shampoo on one, the same, you know, on every client because maybe it dries out one person's hair versus where it may really work on one person's hair. Yes. Uh, yes, you are correct. And, you know, back then the products that, like, when I worked in my grandmother's salon, the products that we used, we used to have a representative come to the salon and we would order mm-hmm. the products from them, you know, and those were expensive exclusive products that you couldn't go buy at the corner, you know, the corner store. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? So the the clients felt like, wow, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting special treatment and I'm getting something that no one else can get because my stylist orders it from a company from, you know, you know, a, from another yeah. business versus going down the street to pick it up at, say, one of the, corner shops. Exactly. Exactly. What do you think makes a good um a good hairstylist? I think a good hairstylist should be professional first of all. They should love what they're doing. You should be passionate about doing someone's hair. A good hairstylist should listen to the client, listen Mm -hmm. to what they want, you know, and give them what they need also, you know. A good hairstylist should be honest with their client. Don't just tell them, oh, this is good for you when it's not good for them and just take their money. And a good hairstylist should, shouldn't book clients on top of another. You should be able to give each client the attention that they need versus, you know, mm-hmm. having five or six at one time at 8 o'clock in the morning. Because I've been in salons right. where they book five clients at 8 o'clock and try to work them through. No, you shouldn't do that. You should make sure that your clients have the same amount of attention as you would want to have if you were to have a service done to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, and also a good hairstylist should continue their education and evolve and grow. You know, you should go to classes, keep just keep learning and educating yourself as everything evolves. You know, you can't just stay doing the same thing all over. You know, you need to mm-hmm. grow and learn new techniques, 
just so that you are able to, you know, keep up with everything. You know, you need to be able to just keep up with the latest trends because a lot of your clients are going to want those latest trends and just educate yourself about the industry and just continue to grow. How do you suggest stylists do that? Because even like with, with makeup, you hear it all the time, um, you know, makeup artists, like if they're, if they're always working, you know, nobody takes the time to, to not work to seek education. You hear people complain about, well, I don't have the money to fly, you know, to fly somewhere to take a class or um, even if it's online, there's, sometimes there seems to be always some type of excuse. Like what do you think is the, is the, is the best way or convenient way? I know like here in the Atlanta area, of course we have like, um, you know, broader brothers and then, there's always um, there's always hair shows like you know um, or I would say beauty shows either in Florida or Alabama and things like that areas that are are pretty close um, to us so that you know these are uh, trade shows that we can kind of get to pretty easily but for people that are in you know I don't know some remote location where there's not maybe a trade show being offered what do you suggest for some of those people I mean. I think plain and simple, people just have to invest the money, number one, and invest the time to just do it. But do you have a suggestion for what they can do? Do you suggest online training, things like that? Well, let let me tell you, like you said, people need to invest in their education, even if you're in a remote little town. I lived in a town called Watertown, New York, they didn't have anything there. But what I remember what I did, I used to love certain hair product companies. And what I did, I reached out to those hair companies and asked them about the educations that education classes mm-hmm. that they had to offer. And that's how I got a lot of my training when I lived in a little small town. Because a lot of people don't know a lot of these product companies, they offer free training, and they can, they'll can they even have you as a representative. And when you're a representative for their company, they will actually train you, teach you the latest haircuts, teach you the latest hair coloring techniques that are out there. So it's like if you can't find time to fly different places, reach out to a hair company that you love, hair product company that you love, and talk to them about education because a lot of people don't know that they do offer it themselves. Well, that, that's smart because more than likely they don't have representatives in some of those small towns, so that's a good idea. Really yeah, good idea. it. I, it worked for me because I became an educator with Nexus. I loved Nexus so much. I was in a small town, and I reached out to them and became one of their representatives. And next thing you know, they had, they trained me, and I was giving classes working at IBS, the International mm-hmm. Beauty Show, mm-hmm. you know, as one of their representatives. And they would pay for you to travel across the country to give classes as well as they're training you and they will pay for your, your, you know, they'll pay for everything, the hotel and everything if you're working for them. So that's one way you can get education. And I also, um, 
join organizations like I'm a member of the National Beauty Cultures League and I get education that way and I'm working towards my doctorate in cosmetology as of right now. And you know, that's so funny that you mentioned that because I was just about to say earlier get some news on um Professional Beauty uh, Association and Pro, uh, Pro Beauty they uh for I think membership is maybe like $50, $55 a year, something like that. But they offer online uh, seminars and classes online. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and free just to have, you know, just with your membership, these, these seminars yep. are free. So things like that, you know, if, if you're a hairstylist or a makeup artist, you know, join uh, whatever association is out there for your craft, and that's an easy way of getting um, education, even if it's just like a – well, for for makeup artists, we have Makeup Artist Magazine. I mean, yep. for twenty four dollars a year, you know, you you learn about new products, you learn about new techniques, you learn from um, from other makeup artists, you're inspired by other makeup artists. So little simple things like that will help you to stay inspired and to stay motivated. But it's, I agree, it's just so important to get that education and to constantly evolve. Yes, and. You know, and I know a lot of people will say, well, I have to work. I can't go Mm -hmm. to school or I can't take these classes because I have to work. But when people say that, I tell them, you know, for you to continue to grow, you have to do what's best for you too, you know. And for growing your craft, you have to continue to educate yourself in your craft. And like for myself, like, I'm always working all the time, but I know that I'm working towards my doctorate. And right. in my mind, I'm saying, well, you know what? If a job calls me to work, that week I'm not available. And I have to mm-hmm. set that I'm, I'm not available right. that week. And that's why it's been working for me because I already know there's something greater for me to do. Right. And I want my doctorate. So that right. week... I'm not going to work. I'm going to mm-hmm. go to school and continue my education so that I can be a better hairstylist. Right. Right. Absolutely. And that's Absolutely. what you have to do. You have to, you have to make some sacrifices. Yeah, you George, have to. Was there anything that you had to change about what you do as a hairstylist when you started doing production work? When I started to do production work, for me, I found that I couldn't work in the salon as much as I wanted to, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, I had to make that sacrifice because, you know, I loved being on the film set, but I did love my clients too. But I wasn't able to give them the attention that they needed, you know, consistently every week, every two weeks that they needed their hair to be done. So I started to, you know, train other stylists and pass them along to them so that they would get the attention and the service that they deserved from me. So because I decided that I wanted to make the film industry, you know, my full-time job. 
So that was the right. one thing that I had to change. Cause, and I'm not knocking anyone that still do the salon hustle and, you know, and work in the film. Mm-hmm. I commend them. But for me at that time, it was a little difficult for me and, you know, raising my family. Because as the film industry, it takes, like, a lot of your time. So I right. had to kind of, like, you know, sacrifice and give up one so that I can focus more on my family and my children, you know, my family and my career as a film industry hairstylist. Right. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that because so many um, hairstylists in particular uh, struggle with that, um, you know, working in the salon, maintaining their clientele, and then working on set, you know. And as you all know, we can work from anywhere from 10-plus, I'm not sorry, but from 12-plus hours a day, and that's really no time to see clients in the salon. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of hairstyles that I do know who work on production that work, you know, Monday through Friday, you know, on a production, and then they'll only see clients on Saturday. And they'll cram in a bunch of clients on one day, you know, trying to maintain their clientele and trying to get everybody in so they can, you know, get everyone in and satisfy their clients, mm-hmm. but yet they're crazy tired. You know, they're crazy yeah. tired before they even get to the salon, and then, you know, they're just done after they leave the salon. Sometimes some of them are even working on Saturdays and Sundays therefore leaving you uh, no time for any real rest before starting the production week all over again. So, you know, it's it's a struggle. Um, and I feel like for those who who are hairstylists working in the salon and working on production, I, I really feel like it's, you definitely have to have a plan that you need to put in place if you're going to, if you're going to continue to work both, but it's got to be something that makes sense, you know, um, and to be honest, I just feel like it's something that's very hard to do. But if you're a day player on film production work, I see I find it more more easier to do to do the salon and the production work. But when you're you know, when you take a position that's more permanent and you're there every single day, I find it to be very difficult. So Yes, I uh, agree with you. I definitely agree with you. And, you know, and then not to mention your family time. Where do you mm-hmm. put your family in? Where do you put your family in for with all that? So that's what right. my problem was. You know, my family didn't get to see me at all at that time. Right. So it was like I had to figure something out because you need a support system when you're working in the film industry you have to have a support system that's going to work with you you know to make sure your family's taken care of and make just just little things you know and then you need to go see the doctor you have to have self-care and you know do things for yourself sometimes and you know it's a juggle and I commend the the hairstylists out there that do that you know because everyone has a different situation but I know mm-hmm. for That's myself, right. my situation was that I needed to, you know, let go of one. And I chose to, you know, not to be in the salon as much. But I still mm-hmm. educate myself and, you know, do what I need to do to keep up with what's going on out there in the industry anyway. Right. 
Now, earlier I asked you what makes a, a great hairstylist. Now I want to ask you what makes a great film and television hairstylist. Is there anything different from what you said before that you would that you would say um, when you know when answering this particular question? Well, you need to have a personality for one, <laughs> <laughs> because there and have patience. It's a lot of patience yes. when you're working in the film and television industry, and you have to deal with a lot of different energies and personalities. And right. I mean, it's a lot, <laughs> and <It is. laughs> you can't just snap at the every <laughs> little thing that happens. You know, it's like for myself, I have to stay prayed up, mm-hmm. you know, and just ask Lord to to guide me and help me daily because sometimes it is a struggle because you're dealing with a lot of different energies and. Mm-hmm. I use my oils and everything when I'm working on set. But definitely that's one thing, personality and patience, because the long hours that you're working and you're, the people that you're working with in the film industry is like a family, you know? Right. So it's like you're there with them longer than you are with your family. So I think um, a good hairstylist in the industry should definitely have those two things and you know and and be good and fast you need to be fast mm-hmm. work you can't do salon work in the film world you got to cut that salon time like over half when you're in the film mm-hmm. industry and that's what's going to make you good too being able to do something of quality you know have quality yes. work and a small amount of time Right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> and you, you know, and it's, it's, it's funny because you see it with barbers a lot. When you have barbers working on film and TV sets and, you know, and they're doing these haircuts, I mean, some of them, I mean, can take up to an hour on one head. Mm-hmm. And, and the first thing I think to myself is you're not in the barbershop, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like I wish somebody would tell them something because, we don't have mm-hmm. that kind of time, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I'll never forget, I'll never forget when we worked on Survivor's Remorse, the, the pilot season, and the very first day, we were kind of a little behind because the barber was, I mean, he was taking like an hour pretty much on all the guys, and um, the producer said something to the department head after lunch about it, and, and so that kind of... um you know, the department head was, was, wasn't was happy about it, about what they were saying, but the department head never said anything to the barber during the morning. He just, you know, okay, he's the barber, he's cutting the hair, we'll, we'll wait on him. But I just felt like it was, it was his responsibility to say something to him, to tell them we don't take this type of, you know, this kind of time on, on haircuts or hairstyles. You know, we have to get in, do what we need to do, and, and move on to the next. But I just I just find it to be interesting that that's exactly what barbers do. They come in as if they're in the barber shop, and they take their sweet time, and they're mm-hmm. trying to give them that barber shop experience, which is it's 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 great to do that. But you have to find a way to cut that time down, cut the time down. You know, you I, can make it. In- 
I agree. I agree because you know what? Um, that just recently happened to me where um, the barber that I had working was given the barber experience and production got upset and they said something to me. So what mm-hmm. I did I used one of my mandates instead of bringing a hairstylist in, I brought a next another barber. Barber. So I mm-hmm. had two barbers. And when the regular barber saw that I had another barber come in, when I tell you it changed his pace. It changed. Yep. <laughs> it changed everything. You hear? And it was like he he got it right then. You know what? I might lose my job. This is what I need to do. And when I tell you, he started working faster and efficient. And I didn't have any more problems after that. But you didn't even have to say a word. You just showed him. I showed him. I sure did. I showed him because, you know, it was like, uh uh-uh, this is messing things up, you know, you know, with everything. And, and then I was like, heck, I'm going to have to start cutting these hair, too, because I can barber, but I'm yeah. giving mm-hmm. him the barber job. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, um, right. But he learned, he learned quick, and when I brought that other barber in, it was like I had two barbers and no more hair people. And both of them were cutting them guys, and, you know, they were kind of trying to outdo each other. But mm-hmm. they both got it done quick. And I didn't have no problems after that. So sometimes you have to do stuff like that just so they can know that this is production. This is not the barbershop. And you know what right. else happens in a situation like that? The, the regular barber is going to want to touch as many actors as he can to, to also kind of like keep the client to himself type thing. So he's, he's going to move faster. You know, he's going to find a way to get that haircut done the way it should be, but faster. That's hilarious. Yes. Yes. All right, ladies, we will be right back right after this. How would you like to become friends with benefits? I'm sure that got your attention. I'm talking about friendsbeauty.com, now offering a benefits discount program to all of our friends. That's right. Professionals that qualify can save up to 40% and non-professional consumers up to 10% just for setting up a free account online. At Friends Beauty, we offer a huge range of products, including beauty makeup, special FX and theatrical makeup, skin care, wigs and extensions, styling tools, and more with thousands of brands at the best prices. We've been in business since 1940 and pride ourselves on ensuring our friends have the best shopping experience ever. Sign up for our Friends Discount Program and shop with us today at Friends, that's F-R-E-N-D-S, no I, beauty.com, friendsbeauty.com. We also offer studio services for production orders at 818 691 1294. That's 818-691-1294. Join our program and become a friend with benefits today. All right. So now, George, you've been doing hair for about 30 years, and then 12 years ago you started uh, doing hair for film and television productions. And then four years ago, February 20th came, your life changed. Can you share a yeah. little bit of, of of what took place and and why you have this um, 
this nonprofit organization, um, iSafe TV and Film. Yes. So um, you never know what path God has for you. You never mm-hmm. know that within a blink of an eye, your life will change. And you always believe that, oh, it'll never happen to me. And February 20th, 2014, my life changed completely. I was working on the film set, Midnight Rider, in Jessup, Georgia, and I was the third hairstylist. And we were filming on a railroad trestle when a train came through. Now, when I say the railroad trestle, just imagine a bridge, a high train track over Mm -hmm. water, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and so when... Would you have a, just do do you know how deep that water was? I don't know how deep it was. It was it was a river um, mm-hmm. that we were over. Um, Do you know how, just, how high up over over the river the bridge were, the tracks were? I know I'm it just, was it was hundreds of feet high. I mean, okay. it was like it was high. I just can't remember the actual height, okay. but you wouldn't have wanted to jump in that river, right? I just want to paint the picture so people realize. Um, so as you're, as you're telling this story, people can understand why um, this is a safety issue. Okay. So it was the trestle. I was I can't remember how high, but um, just imagine going over a body of water on a bridge that's like at least hundreds feet high in the air, um, mm-hmm. where you can't really see the rocks. You know, um, but we were on the railroad trestle um, and shooting a dream sequence. And when we were on the trestle, the the actor, he asked, well, how long, how much time do we have if a train came through? And it was said that a train wasn't going to come through. And then he said, well, what if a train did come through? How much time do we have to get off this trestle? And then the AD said, the first AD said, 60 seconds. Now, Mm. 60 seconds, that's a minute. And no soon as the first AD said 60 seconds, we, we heard a train. And the train was way in the distance, far. And as soon as we heard the train coming, we started to run to get off the trestle. But the train was coming almost 80 miles an hour. And Mm. at that point, I realized that I wasn't going to get off that trestle. Mm -hmm. So we had to run towards the train to get off the trestle towards land. There was no option to jump that wasn't even an option because you were really close to where safety was. But because the train was coming almost 80 miles an hour, all I could do was just run to the side of the, the bridge 
and hold on to the iron girder. And when I held on to the iron girder, the train was right there on me, like two, not even, not even a fit behind me. And mm-hmm. I held on to the girder really tight while the train was coming 80 miles an hour past. And the pressure from the train was so strong that it pulled me off. And mm-hmm. it pulled me into the train where it hit my arm and snapped my arm in half. When my arm snapped in half, I saw my bones, the blood, which I can't stand to see the sight of blood, but the blood, and I grabbed it, and I fell down and held on to the arm, the cables, until the train stopped. And when that train, I'm holding on to my arm, and I just thank God that God had his angels around me because the sheets that was on the bed fell down in front of me and I was Mm. able to grab the sheets and wrap my arm up and make a tourniquet as I continued to hold on to the cable. And Sarah Jones, the camera assistant, was killed next to me and I'll never forget that day that, you know, I was hit by a train, survived, and my coworker was killed. And this is why I started the organization iSafe TV and Film. First, let's just, let me just say I'm just so sorry that that happened to you. Thank you. Um, Yeah. Can can you talk a little bit about uh, if there were any precautions taken, like like to shoot on train tracks? I mean, was locations aware that? a train was to come or not to come? Was there a conversation conversation about um, what to look out for if we heard a train, if there's a train that's going to come? Because the the actor asked a question, but I didn't hear you say the first AD had a safety meeting about working on the train tracks. There were no safety meetings. Um, No one knew what to do if a train came. There were no railroad representatives around. No one wore safety vests. Um, Everything was wrong. All the signs were there that this was unsafe. Just walking along the trestle on the tracks, was unsafe because there were like holes that were not covered that you can actually fall through if you step the wrong way, you know? So it was a lot of things that was done wrong. And my greatest regret is not speaking up saying yeah, I was something. Gonna, I was going to ask you because for me, I, I, you know, I've known people to be killed on train tracks. And for me, I, that's, 
I, I'm, I'm afraid of train tracks. So for me, I know for me, if, if there were a situation where we were, you know, told we were going to be shooting on this track, for me, I already know I would have said, I, me personally, I would have said, no, I'm not doing that. So I'm just, I'm just wondering, was there ever a time in your mind that you thought, when I'm sure it was, that you thought, I shouldn't do this? Well, first, when you're working on in the film industry, everyone has a job. So you automatically assume Mm -hmm. that everyone did their job. You know, Mm -hmm. the producers have a job, the directors have a job, the locations manager has a job, and you assume that, well, if I'm working on this trestle, it must be safe because someone made sure that we had permits to be there and that everything was done. So you just assume that mm-hmm. everyone does did their job, and that's the first mistake. You can't assume right. that everyone did their job, and that was a lesson that I learned. Because the there part. were no permits, correct? Correct. There okay. were no permits. You know, safety precautions weren't taken. You know, that was a part of what you call guerrilla filmmaking, when yes. you just try right. to take, sneak a shot. You know, just now, for the was, sake of the this movie. Was an indi- this was an independent film, correct? This was an independent film, but it was also a union film. Because gotcha. people think because it's an independent film it's not that, union. oh, it's not union. But this was right. a union film, you know, gotcha. where you get your union benefits and everything. And gotcha. people assume because it's a low-budget film that, that happens, but I've seen on um, big budget films where they do the same thing. Oh God, absolutely! Yes. You know, all the time, absolutely. Yes. So um, that was my absolutely. greatest regret not speaking up because this was day two of the job. I didn't know anybody oh, but wow. Sarah, Sarah, and the the um, costumer. Those mm-hmm. were the two people I knew. Hmm. Wow. Wow. You know. Then how, um, how old was Sarah? Sarah was, I can't remember exactly how old she was now. She, I'm like having but, a brain. But she was in her 20s, though. So. But she was in her early 20s, yeah. Right. That's what she I was in her early 20s. She was very young. Mm-hmm. Very young. And, you know, Sarah before the tragedy happened, I remember the actor talking talking to Sarah and we were I was touching up his hair and we were not on the track but near it and mm-hmm. he noticed how Sarah was and how she seemed to know about railroad tracks. Mm. And they had a whole discussion about railroads before this happened. Mm. Cause, yeah, because her dad worked, you know, in that type of business. Right. You know, hmm. I, I'm, I'm thankful that the actor even asked the question, you know, um, what if a train came? Because everybody was thinking or was told that, if I, if I have the story correct, that there would only be two trains to go by that day, and they had already gone by. 
um, what if a train were to come, how much time mm-hmm. would we have? I'm thankful that he asked the question, even though it wasn't a lot of time. And like you said, as soon as the question was, was asked and answered, you heard a train. Um, I'm, a, I'm sure people were thinking, you know, grab equipment, grab whatever and run or, or, or just, and some people would just run. Um, I can't even begin to imagine. Uh, and, and you know, the, the the funny part, of, not even funny, but the crazy part about it all is, as filmmakers, that's what we do. If if something were to go down, trust and believe. You know how when there's a, when you're in a school or whatever at a hotel or something, and there's a um, a uh, a fire alarm that goes off. You know, in schools they teach you just you know just to leave everything and and to, and to go. As filmmakers. That's not what we're going to do. We're gonna we're gonna grab the equipment because it's expensive equipment. You know what I mean. So if we can save anything, mm-hmm. we're gonna try to we're gonna try to protect that equipment. So I can understand Sarah um, because from what I understand, she had camera equipment in her hands. Yes, she had the camera equipment, and you know they ran. And yeah. Sarah actually was the closest to safety. She was the closest mm-hmm. to the land. I was f- way behind her. Mm-hmm. Um, but the train, I believe that, you know, um, once the train hit the bed that was on the trestle, it made mm-hmm. it shrapnel and a piece might have hit her or yeah. and she may have just fallen into it. Or You know, yeah. it's like she was just that close to safety, but mm-hmm. it, the pressure from the train enough will suck you into suck you into it anyway. Mm. Mm. But no one ever really has been that close to a train to know to know the that. Of it. Yeah, yeah. But it's very strong because what. I thought when I was holding on to, I thought that I was. That was enough. And yeah, but the train coming that fast, like almost 80 miles an hour, coming that fast, it throws you off. You know, mm-hmm. I was better off holding on to the cable first versus holding on to the iron girder. Yeah. Wow. Now I don't I don't know if you if you know the answer to this question. It just popped in my head. But is eighty miles per hour normal for a train, or does it normally move faster? Well, and, and we know some can move slower, but I'm just wondering does does it ever move any faster than that? The trains can move faster than that, but because this was a freight train, it shouldn't mm-hmm. have been going no more than maybe thirty. Miles. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I was thinking. Yes, yes. Okay. So I mean, and it was, it was close to eighty. I can't remember exactly how many miles an hour it was, but it was definitely not a thirty mile an hour train. Yeah, um, yeah. Coming towards us. Because I'm just thinking, and that's in a small town like that. I, I. That's why when you first said eighty miles per hour, I was thinking, of course, that's fast, and you talked about the pressure. But I thought, why would a train be moving that fast in a town like that? 
they t- it was it wasn't supposed to be, but right. it was. You know? Yeah. So with it moving that fast, it didn't have enough time to stop. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Exactly. You know, it didn't have enough time to stop when they saw us on the trestle. So, so let's talk a little bit about I say TV and film. Um, and again, I myself also am. I'm so sorry that you even had that experience. Um, so my heart just go out to you and to Sarah's family and to all everyone that's involved. Um, and I just pray, you know, nothing like that ever happens again. And as you know, there have been several cases um, where people have lost their lives because they've been on set. For some people, they've been on set for long periods of time, 18 hours, over 20 hours, um, you know, just working, and then they leave and, and go and drive home. You know, there are times when, you know, we've been in production meetings and you know, representatives from the studio would be there. I remember on a movie, representative on the studio, and this was some years ago, said if anybody's ever tired, you know, when they leave work, get a hotel. This production has the money. You know, and I noticed like on the show that I was just working on, at the end of every night, because we were working some extremely long hours, and at the end of every night, the UPM would be walking around saying, you know, are you tired? Can you Can you drive home? If not, get a hotel, you know. Um, I think more productions are trying to be more careful and with that kind of thing and making sure that people will have hotels, that they can get a hotel and not have to drive home. And then there are some who still just will not offer. Um, there are some people who just know that they're tired, know that they can't make it home. They may live 45 minutes to an hour away, knowing that they can't make it, but they'll go and try to drive home anyway. Let's just talk about mm-hmm. the important. Uh, let's just talk about the importance of not only being safe on set, but being safe also when you leave set to go home. It's not safe after working those extremely long hours. The one what, thing what we, we have, have to, to remember. Do? I was just wanted to say this. One thing we have to remember is driving while we're tired and sleepy is just like driving while you're drunk. Mm-hmm. It's, there's no mm-hmm. difference. No difference whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So we, we have to remember that. We can hurt someone else on the road, and we can definitely hurt ourselves. So we have to, you know, I think we should get to the point of um, maybe not doing 18 hours a day. Maybe there should be something um, where we're not working longer than, I say, 12 or 14. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, the ex- I like to call them the abusive hours mm-hmm. because a lot of people will say, well, you know, lo- doctors work long hours. Oh, well, it's just long hours. But it's a little different when you say abusive hours because then people will know you're serious that it can cause death or serious injury if you're working abusive hours. So I've learned to change the way I talk about it so that it will resonate differently when I say that. 
And um, right now we are about to start. We're about to get in contract negotiations, and the abusive hours is like at the top of the negotiations right now. So we're hoping that eventually we'll be able to have the 12-on, 12-off, because now safety is the top of every conversation there is. It's all about safety. Because we don't know how tired we are when we leave work, so when something happens. You know, a guy told me who was in a car accident after working the abusive hours, he said to me, Joyce, he actually he he got in the car and he he fell asleep, but he didn't know he fell asleep while he was driving and he drove on the wrong side of the highway and had a head on collision. And when I talked to him, he said, Joyce, all I know is my body got relaxed. That was his word he used, relaxed. And then next thing he know, he ended up in the hospital. So you don't even know when you're falling asleep, when you fell asleep. That's how the body does. When the body is overexerted and tired, it's going to shut down. And he didn't know that his body had shut down until he was in the hospital. And this happened after the February 20th tragedy that I experienced. So, you know, it's like we have to really be mindful, know our bodies, know and understand that it can happen to any of us. It can happen to any of us. And if the production doesn't want to put you in a hotel, but you know you're overexhausted and tired, then you need to put yourself in a hotel. You have to look out for yourself. We can't always depend on everyone else to look out for us if we don't look out for ourselves. That's absolutely right. You know, so we have, yes, and it's like we're going to continue to work in the film industry that we love and people aren't going to always be looking out for us, and we just have to really do what we feel is right to do for ourselves. And when I was on that trestle, I should have known better, but I didn't speak up, and I suffered the consequences, and I've learned from it too. When I see that something's not right on set, I'm always the bad guy because I'm going to say something. But I tell him, look at my arm. My arm was reconstructed. I have a metal plate and ten, nine screws in my arm right now as we speak. So that is a reminder to me to speak up when I don't feel safe or I'm too tired, you know? Right. And if I see stuff going on on set that's happening with other people, I speak up. And I don't care if I'm the bad guy. I don't care if I lose my job because I've learned from experience what the consequences would be later. Right, absolutely. And, you know, another thing, since Sarah's death, you know, everybody's all about safety, 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 safety. So you hear first ADs make a big deal about safety and everybody should be safe. And you hear sometimes you hear certain key grips that I've worked with, they're big on safety. But a lot of times when I walk around set, especially when we're on stage and you see like every 
for cords known to the film industry just laying mm-hmm. around, and it's just the things are all over the place, and it's dark on set, and you're practically tripping over everything. You know, I find myself going to those people who said something about safety and being safe and, and making sure we're all safe. I make sure I go to them and say, um, look at this. I don't feel mm-hmm. safe. And then they mm-hmm. do something about it. Do something mm-hmm. every single time they do something about it. So we have to hold them accountable, mm-hmm. you know. And, and as a first, and, and then as the first AD who pretty much runs the show on set, we have to hold them accountable. Even if they don't say anything about safety, we still have to hold them accountable. Like, look, mm-hmm. this is this is what we're this is the environment we're working in. It shouldn't mm-hmm. look like this. It shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't trip over stuff in the dark. Put some lights mm-hmm. on in here. We got to have lights so that we can see where we're going, you know. And I and I've and I've done that. I've, I've mm-hmm. talked to first ADs all the time about the lights. We can't see where we're going. Your cords mm-hmm. are all over the place. Cover them up, you know. We should be able to see where the cords are, mm-hmm. you know. And I always and I always tell my crew, don't run on set. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, <laughs> this is what we do when we fall on set. We want to jump back up. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I've seen people have to go through three and four surgeries from falling on set and then jumping up saying they're okay and not even seeing a medic. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and then years later, they can't even really work because, you know, they're, the condition that they're in. Yes, that is true. And one thing, you don't want to get tied up in the workers' comp system. No, because you don't. Because the workers' comp system sucks. Just mm-hmm. so you know and the listeners know, if you get injured on set and have to go through workers' comp, you're going to be like, Lord, why didn't I do something differently or why could this mm-hmm. not have happened? Because I'm still dealing with workers' comp issues four years later. Wow. Wow. But one thing I will say, I will say, if you go down on set, stay down until the medic shows up. Don't mm-hmm. leave until the medic shows up and the medic writes up a report and you feel like you can get up. Because if you don't feel like you can get up on your own, then they need to call 911. Yes, I agree. Don't, and, yeah, don't yes. worry about your job. You have to consider your health first. Yes, and always make sure the medic writes a report. I don't care always. if you got a little scratch from whatever. Have yep. that med- medic write it down because if they don't write it down, there won't be any type of paper trail on it, and then Nothing. if you have to get workers' comp or have to go to you know court or anything, they don't yep. have a trail of it. So That's make right. sure you have that paper trail. And one thing that I know that we all do in this industry, when we start a job, we start the job. Many times we wait to fill out our paperwork till yes. the end of the week. Yep. To start paperwork, fill that start paperwork out before you lift up a comb or a makeup brush yep. or anything. Because when Midnight Rider happened, I was it happened two days after, um, you know, we started filming. You know, mm-hmm. and I remember on day two, I remember saying, you know what, I hadn't filled out my paperwork yet because day one I came in rolling, 
you know, mm-hmm. got so busy, busy, busy. Day two, I remember, you know what, I didn't fill out my paperwork yet. Let me fill this thing out right now. And I told my department head, I'm filling out my paperwork. I got to fill this out right now. Mm-hmm. And I sat down, did not lift a finger till my paperwork was done. And then look what happened. Mm-hmm. The tragedy mm-hmm. happened. And they could have said that I wasn't an employee. They almost absolutely. did. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Paperwork done. So you got to make sure that before you start a job, you find out, you know, you find time to fill out your paperwork before you step on set because those producers, you know, well, they they can lie. Well, mm-hmm. she doesn't have paperwork in. She's not really mm-hmm. technically an employee of ours. Yep. And then that would be something else to deal with. That's so right. make sure you do that. That's one thing I learned through it all. Yes. Every time, Janice, I was, you know, every time one of us department heads, we make sure that whoever works with us has that paperwork filled out before lunchtime. Mm-hmm. So that we can yes. look over it and turn it in. And then even then for me, whenever I department head, whenever I get a call to department head, whenever that production office opens up, even even if I don't start work until a month later, I go into that office and I fill out my paperwork. Because the moment yes. I step in that office, I'm sorry, I'm I'm at work. I'm working for you. If I go in for yes. a meeting or whatever, I'm an employee. So if something happens even in the office, if I fall, I'm an employee. Yes, yeah. Cause, yes, because they will lie. And trust me, mm-hmm. I went through all of that. You know, I had to, we had to pull up paperwork to make sure that I was an employee, you know? Wow. So, yeah, and that's one thing I tell people on every set I go on now, please fill out your paperwork before you start. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I have to tell them why, because you wouldn't believe it. But something told me, and I feel like it was the guardian angel told me, Joyce, do this right now, because mm-hmm. This was about to happen, and if this didn't happen to me, we wouldn't have safety thing. You know, it wouldn't be right. as big with safety as it is now, and that's why I started I Safe TV and Film. Nice. And so, how are you guys getting the word out um, about safety on set? And what is it that each and every one of us who work um, in the film and TV industry, what is it that we can do to spread the word about safety? Well, how I am, well, how I say TV and film is getting the word out is we've been having safety panel discussions across the country. We had it in California, Tennessee. We've had um, discussion in South Carolina. I'm hoping to, we had a small one in Atlanta and everywhere across the country, they're calling, asking for this. And what we can do is to spread the word is to just remind people about what happened with Sarah Jones and other people who've been injured or lost their lives while working on set. And just to remind them that we have to be vigilant to Look out for each other. Look out for each other and remember that we need to work. We, are, we have the right to work, be safe, and go home. You know, just take safety precautions when you're at work and just 
you know, if you see someone doing something that's not right, speak up. And I think the biggest thing is to speak up when you're feeling unsafe. And if you don't feel sure about it, go to your supervisor. You know, call your BA, go to your supervisor and talk to them and tell them, hey, this is what's going on, you know. But Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing is for us to speak up. And that was the biggest lesson that I learned. I didn't speak up when I felt unsafe. Right. Yeah, and like you said earlier, um, you know, people have to not be concerned or worried about if they're going to lose their job. It's your right to speak up about safety issues, and the production knows that. You know, mm-hmm. you know, if they decide not to mention, you know, and, and let me just say this, even something as simple, or well, it's not simple, but even something like if you're in an old building shooting and you're wondering if there's asbestos in that building, you know, mm-hmm. you have the right to ask, you know, has this mm-hmm. place been checked for asbestos? And if they say, mm-hmm. yes, it has, you have the right to ask to see the report. Yes. Yes. You know, you, you have, have that, that right. And yes. so never be afraid to speak up and ask questions or even say, you know what, I don't feel safe. I'm not going to do this today. I'm just going to go back to the trailer or I'm going to stand over here where I am safe. And if you if you need something, you can send the actor over or send the PA over to get something. You know, if they need lotion, the PA can come get it. If they need a touch-up, you can send the actor over here, but I don't feel safe over here, you know? Yeah. And there's nothing they yes. really can do about it. Yes. So you have and to, then have to there are safety hotlines that you can call, too. You Thank you. I was going to ask you that. You safety hotline. Yes. And, you know, at that time with – the Midnight Rider tragedy, you know, I wish I used one of the safety hotlines, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, they're, they're out there. There are so many resources available to us, but a lot of us don't know that they're there. And that's another reason why I started iSafe TV and Film, so that I can promote the resources that are available so that we have it at our fingertips. You know, you mm-hmm. can go on the website to the, the uh, to my my safety page where it has a list of all the safety hotline numbers. You know, the IOTC has the safety hotline numbers too, and exactly. you, you can. I mean, they're out there. If, even if you felt like you couldn't go to your supervisor and talk to your supervisor, you can do that. You know, if you felt like you couldn't go to your union, which you should be able to, you should be able to contact your union. If you're feeling, you know, like you can't go to the director or your supervisor or whoever, but you have the support system out there available. And that's what I want people to know. Don't be afraid to speak up, you know, and if they, if you lose your job behind it, you can contact your union representative and let them know, you know, this is what happened and you'll be able to file a grievance for losing your job, for speaking up about safety, you know? So, I mean, don't be afraid. And that's my biggest message to everyone. I don't care how small it may seem, but your life is so much bigger than this film industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so happy that you said that. That is so true. So, so true. 
um, and yeah. again, um, you can go on the iSafe TV and Film website um, to get those numbers, and that's iSafeTVNFilm.org. Dot com. So Joyce, dot com. I'm sorry. Is it? What, <laughs> you do the web. You 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 say what the website is because I think I just messed it up. What, what, what's the website? <laughs> It's com. It's all spelled out. Okay. I, I didn't put an O-R-G in it, so don't <laughs> listen to me. It's isafetvandfilm.com. Okay. Yes. And all those hotlines are on there. And, again, like Joy said, you know, you can always call your union as well. Um so don't don't be afraid and speak up. Joyce, I thank you so, so much um, for coming on tonight, um, for sharing your story, um, and just and just actually, you know, stepping up, creating this organization and starting this conversation about safety. Um, and you know, just just being that vessel that God is using in this industry to talk about safety, which we definitely need to hear, um, and we definitely need to put into practice um, those things yeah. that's going to that's going to keep everyone on safe on set very safe. Um, so, so thank you for that. Um, I wanted to ask one last question. It has nothing to do with safety. I just wanted to know um, what's your definition of beauty. my definition of beauty well beauty is in the eyes of the beholder first of all so beauty to me is everything everyone your energy what you are on the inside as well as what you may be on the outside. But for me, beauty comes from within. Because once your beauty shines within, it'll shine on the outside. And that's what I look for. I look for the beauty inside somebody versus on the outside. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, thank you for sharing. And just shout out... um, you know, if if you choose to, you know, your personal Instagram or wherever you where people can find you on social media, but then also one more time where people can find iSafe TV and Film um, on social media and the website. One more time. My uh, organization, iSafe TV and Film. The website is www.isafetvandfilm.com. We're on Facebook at iSafe. We're on Twitter and Instagram also for iSafe TV and Film. And my personal Instagram is Gilliard Beauty, G-I-L-L-I-A-R-D Beauty. And I'm on Facebook under my name, Joyce Gilliard. Nice. Very nice. Well, again, thank you so much. Thank you for uh, for sharing with us, and just thank you for all of the iSafe um, information. And uh, we will definitely keep in touch to see how things are going with iSafe uh, TV and film, and as well as Gilead Beauty. So uh, thank you very much. 
Thank you so much for having me on your blog radio. I appreciate it. I appreciate every chance I get to spread the word about safety. And I also wanted to share, I have iSafe TV and Film T-shirts that many crew members members wear on set that says, work, be safe, go home. And it's been a silent voice for everyone. So if you're interested in the iSafe TV and Film T-shirt, you can get one on the website also. Nice. And I believe they're $15, correct? Yes, they're $15, and they're black T-shirts with white letters, and literally people wear them on set just to serve as a friendly reminder for everyone to work, be safe, go home, so that you can go home with your family. And just whenever, yes, and just I just want you all to know um, that I just want to thank you all for just giving me that opportunity to be able to speak about iSafe, and I appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been our absolute our absolute pleasure. Yes, and we appreciate okay. you and all the work that you're doing on our behalf on the set of film and TV. You're welcome. Thank you all so much. Thank you're you so welcome. much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, have a great night, and we'll chat with you soon. Okay. You too. God bless. Okay. Okay. All right. Bless you too. Bye bye. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with us tonight. Um, what an awesome message um, and an important message as well. So we thank Joyce again for for joining us, being our guest tonight, and for sharing that information. It is so important that we speak up, and not just on film and television sets. You know, you can be doing a photo shoot somewhere, working on a commercial. Um, I mean, you could find yourself in the the department store, you know, working at a counter. If there's anything that's unsafe about your work environment and your work situation, please speak up. It's so, so important. You know, um, it's just so important. And like Joyce said, you have to, you have to um, protect yourself and you have to be concerned about yourself and your own safety. You can't depend on you know, your job, your the production, you can't depend on them to do anything. They may help out, they may do something, but you can't depend on that all the time. So you have to be very careful about your surroundings and where you are, and you just have to speak up and not be afraid, okay? Because just like she said, your life is more important than that job, and so you have to think like that at all times, Okay. So, again, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you um, for your continued support. And then my sister's going to shout out where you can follow us um, on social media. You can follow us on Facebook. We're Beauty Talk Online Radio. On uh, Twitter, we are Beauty underscore Talk. And then on Instagram, we're Beauty underscore Talk underscore Media. And then you can follow me on all social media, Denise Tunnell, and I'm at Denise Tunnell, that's D-E-N, I-S-E-T-U-N-N-E-L-L. And you can follow Janice on all social media. She's at Janice Tunnell. That's J-A-N-I-C-E-T-U-N-N-E-L-L. All right. So with that being said, thank you guys again. Have a wonderful night and have a beautiful and blessed week. Good night, everybody. Good night.